celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Talk Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk, Emmanuel Pedro Bzavis. He is the head of athletic performance at Rugby Netherlands. Emmanuel is an expert in athletic performance and development. This comes from his time as a professional athlete, a coach, strength and conditioning leader, and his extensive ongoing studies, including a bachelor's in exercise and sports science and his master's in performance optimization and mental preparation. He supports athletes working closely to develop skills and progress their talent to an elite level. From youth to top tier pro leagues, Emmanuel is responsible for the designing, implementation and evaluation of athletic development programs to maximize every player's potential. From strength and conditioning to cutting edge research, he is a curious mind who strives for the greatest when it comes to advancing his athletes and his teams. Working in France, Australia, New Zealand, Portugal, and the Netherlands. He has immersed himself in high performance. I'm so excited to talk about everything, whether that's his travel, his athleticism, the research, all of it in between. So it is really a pleasure and a long time coming. So welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. My first question for you is where and how are you today? So yes, certainly. Thanks for the intro. Um, I, I would love to meet that guy. <laughs> no, it's so the um. So I'm actually in Netherlands. So I'm I'm, I'm based in Amsterdam now. I'm at the 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 rugby union, and um and yeah, no, everything is fine. It's um uh, sunny weather. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, sort of warm beginning of October before the things get real here with a proper winter in Netherlands when it's gonna be really dark and uh, and cold soon. But uh, yeah, no, so far, so good. So far, so good. I'm very happy to hear that. Quick question. I'm curious from the training perspective, when it does get cold and dark and all those things that the Netherlands will bring, how does that impact training? Like, do you go inside? What kind of evolves there? If, not so much, actually, because um, so they, they found um, a, a different way. <laughs> so we have a lot of uh, fields with uh, synthetic grass. So actually, even though it rains quite a bit, there's uh, a lot of fields here in the Netherlands are, are synthetic, at least in rugby, or they've got some backup option is the, the, the way the... the the, the the training centers are formed usually is 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 a multitude of of uh, of sports so you got a hockey field uh, you got a, a football and and rugby most of the time in one place so even though you can't access to the rugby field if they got uh, a normal grass they, they can always share facilities with football so we don't really actually go indoors but we we mainly find yeah other pitches or, or, or stuff like this so the guys are pretty resilient but uh, but it's been among the talks actually, um, even uh, at the union and 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 with staff, where should we actually stop a competition? Um, like in December, January, when the weather is not really good. So then it, it gives us also a break for the national team to start preparing the competition in in February, March for the European Championship. But we we talk to other unions as well, and and it's not really the the didn't get many benefits out of it, uh, like Germany, like, uh, um, yeah, Eastern European countries as well, where they got really uh, some really cold, uh, Romania. Um, so, so we, yeah, we stick with the, we stick with the plan and, uh, and uh, no, it's, it's, so we, we, we just find alternatives, let's say. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of leads into my first question, because you've worked in so many different countries. Like I'm even thinking about in New Zealand, maybe rugby is like the sport. It's kind of what all the kids do. In the Netherlands, I know a lot of people play field hockey. So that's why maybe there's synthetic pitches that all these different changes. So quite broad, but could you please outline for me your career journey, including the academic endeavors and moves you've had? Cool. Uh, <laughs> so are you ready? Yes. No, it's, uh, I was... Um... So I was sort of semi-professional player. So um, I was playing for um, Po, um, which is now in, in top 14 in France. But at the time, they were in second French division. And I was playing for the under-23 squad. Um, I, I didn't make the cut uh, in, in the professional uh, world. So I, I didn't get the contract in the end. And, and usually the way it's set up in France is if you don't have a contract, you, you need to move on into... Um, yeah, lower division clubs or, or non-professional clubs. And at the same time, I was doing um, my master degree and bachelor degree in, in sports science and mental training uh, and also preparing some coaching uh, diplomas on the side. So I really wanted to make sure that whatever the journey is, if, even if you stop tomorrow, I've got something. Um, and and I tried to play for another club in, in the lower division, amateur environment. And I, I, yeah, it didn't work for me. It's not what I wanted, just the rugby fun. It, it was not what I'm, what I was, what I was meant for. I really wanted to go for high performance. So eventually, I I, I had an injury. I, I guess it was the, um, someone told me, you know, the 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 mind suffering, the body cries. So I guess it was the the right time. So I, I focused on the mental training side during that time. So it helped me to go through the injury. So it was just a, an injury. But anyway, and during that time as well, I talked to my a partner who became my wife still today so 17 years later but um and she always wanted to go to australia so for me australia was so far away i never never even crossed my mind to go there and and as a classic frenchman i, I couldn't speak a word of english actually so i was a bit scared um but we both agreed that if we go and travel um yeah we we need to get some experience out of it and not just have a gap on your on your cv after the study so that's what I did. So I ended up trying to connect with different people and and find a, a first sort of internship in Melbourne. Um, I, I stayed four or five months over there. Then some people from that club knew all the guys in um in into surf etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So I met Phil Jarrett, uh, which is a, a surf writer, and and through my wife as well. She was working for Quicksilver at that time. So we, we kept on traveling and we, we stayed in touch with the guy and um, and he invited us to a surf festival. So from there, he told me, ah, but I, I know also a guy in, in New Zealand and it was Murray Mexted. So we we finished the trip and I, I said to my wife, we, we are so far away from home. Why not push into New Zealand, you know? And especially for me as a, a rugby guy, I, I had to go to New Zealand. So we went there and, and because it was already a year, a year and a half almost so my wife decided to go back home because i was staying there only for rugby so we we travel a bit around new zealand of course but then i stayed in wellington with uh with murray he, he wanted me to uh, work for for his club and then he also wanted to help me to develop so he bring me to the irons academy uh in uh, palmerston north so uh, I, I did a couple of sessions over there so that was basically for a year and a half then after that, I came back to 
fronts so trying to figure out what i'm gonna do next and and uh so murray contacted me and said there's a job in portugal um you should apply for it and then i, I applied for it and i got it uh and uh so i was pretty stoked because i was only 23 at the time 24 oh. and, um yeah so that was that was a reality check as well because I, as great as the experience was if uh to be fair looking back on it i, I wasn't prepared for it uh dealing with the staff dealing with uh the players dealing with politics as well. A national team is really different than a club. Uh, not having the guys all the time with you. Um, they are coming. Sometimes you got sort of, I don't know, a, a group of 40 players because they're international games or something like this. So anyway, it was tough, but good experience. But my wife, like within two weeks period. So when I found the job in Portugal, she found a job here in Netherlands because that was sort of the idea now because my mom is, is Dutch. So tried to go and live in Netherlands. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't refuse the job. So we, we agreed that for a year we're going to try. And then uh, it was tough also because we are seeing each other only once every two months or something like this. And then at the end of the year, the, the perspective staying in Portugal also in terms of salaries, like Portugal at that time was 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 still recovering from the crisis. So it was not an ideal place. So uh, I decided to move on to Netherlands. Um, I'll be lying to say, it was a step forward in my career because when I arrived here, like everything has to be built. So yeah, even some friends of mine were like, are you sure? Because, you know, like maybe go to France and try to pursue a career, but I still wanted to try. And I met uh, uh, Garrett Gilbert, who's uh, the former technical director and they created the National Academy. So I arrived basically at the right time, you know, the right place. And um they wanted someone from a sort of tier two nations, which was Portugal. So he wanted to get to get to that level. So again, it, it felt perfectly. And then I, I started with 10 hours and working with other clubs. Then the year after it became 20 hours and so on. And and since three years now, I'm, I'm full-time into the job. Um, and then we had, yeah, pretty much everything in between. I, I coached the ladies sevens, been um, involved with the men's and the 18s and the 20s. Um, we won the promotion game, so now we are in the second uh, highest division in Europe, and uh, and uh, here I am today. So, um, so I try to make it short. Eh? <laughs> well, you can't make it short because there's so many things that you need to include. That is incredible. Yeah. And yeah. I appreciate that you point out, like at one point when you're 23 and you're making these moves, like yeah, maybe I wasn't as prepared for the whole scope that is high performance top tier sport whereas now you've built this program you're three years in did you expect when you turned up to the Netherlands where you would be now three years down the track to be honest nothing because I I knew it was not a rugby country so even though when I even turned up in Portugal I wasn't expecting much and and um that was a sort of reality check they were already a bit structured but here in Netherlands we had to build everything so I enjoyed also starting with the National Academy because you got less pressure of results. You need to educate players. And I think it was more in line with my, uh, I wouldn't say competence, but my level at the time where I was still a young up-and-coming coach and and I needed to develop as well, the same as these guys. So I've done some stuff uh, good, some stuff uh, great, some stuff bad, but it was was still part of the journey. And then um, I'm happy because when I started, and 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 to the time we had that promotion game, so seven years, eight years later, 
we had uh, 80% of the squad was from that that original era where all these guys came through and then I, I bring them from 16, 17. I mean, I, we bring them to 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 where we want it to be because yeah from day one that was the that was the goal we want to promote and and like looking on the field at, at that day I, I remember hugging the guys like we we've done it and uh, and they were the guys we started with so it was it was a good development for them but also like for me along the way where yeah I started to learn a bit more about again how to how to deal with the clubs how to deal with the coaches how to be part of the staff um how to make decisions how to the sort of thing that usually you don't necessarily do when you arrive in a set environment. Yeah. I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted. They Garrett always gave me the keys and, and say, you, you are the experts. You don't need to explain what, what you're doing, but I just want to understand the why. And then after that, you get a free shot and we review at the end. So that, that really gives me the freedom to, to explore. Yeah, totally. And that trust that the players must have because they've, those especially those ones who have been with you from the start and if you'd gone into a different country a different program you wouldn't have had that autonomy yeah. or the freedom to like you said have good great moments maybe some not but be able to build and evolve how oh, that feeds into my next question which is you are someone who ongoingly studies a lot like you've got a large theoretical academic base as well so applying like theory to strategize to maximize athletic performance and avoid injury obviously what's more impactful to you and not just in your career but maybe you and how you approach sport is it the academic study or is it that hands-on experience or both um a bit of both i guess uh, but for me what really worked was to be really hands-on because i realized also when i started so again with with portugal you know um you want to test the players you, you want to have a starting point where whatever you learn in academic journey you know they, they always say you need to test okay fine so the first time i tested and then i arrived that day and then um the guys say okay you're gonna have 40 players how do you test 40 players i never had that so i, I plan a sort of uh, um you know bronco or, or whatever it was and i realized that half of the player never ran it but i, I stuck to my plan so i wanted to do that and then I, I failed completely and then that was my sort of journey towards questioning okay what is it that you want to do how are you going to do it and 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 more importantly why you want to do it so I realized that that's one thing to have a plan but does it fit the culture does it fit the environment does it fit all this and and so I started to question a little bit this and also being by myself on all these jobs I've been by myself so most of the time uh, clubs or, or, or unions they don't have the, the resources to employ someone else so it's it's quite a lonely journey as well and I'm I'm glad that I found the right people to to have sort of mentors so I, I, I found some mentors in Australia uh, Ben Norcott who was the the former SNC for the Brumbies and um, and now is with uh, Special Forces um, I had I had mentors um, like Zane Gardiner, uh, who's a coach here in Netherlands. I, I had a couple of guys like this that I really rely on, just asking questions. How do you deal with? Um, I don't know. How do you structure your your testing? How do you, you know, set up a, a speed session? Because again, you got all these sort of bricks, but how you how you make the wall basically? So it's how do you fit all this and and between all the theories and stuff and and you go through the whole 
normal journey of, of any coaches, I guess, where you want to copy and then you try to question a little bit and then, then you, you try to make your own. And then and then I guess we are all going through that journey. So it's um it's been yeah, it's it's been challenging, but but again, I really think that by yourself you can't do much. You, you need to always ask for help and challenge ideas as well. Because whatever I do today, even even after a few years of experience, I'm pretty sure if I go tomorrow to uh, any other places, I have to change everything again because maybe it's not suited for that environment. I can have the sort of core ideas, the sort of training philosophy and this type of things, but for the rest, maybe I have to change everything here. So, uh, so that's what I found. That's what I found exciting, and sometimes what I realized over the the years. And and the grass is not always greener on the other side. You know, it's 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 important to have your your environment, and if you can develop and and try to put your concept in in. In practice, I think that's the that's a really good way to learn. Definitely, and an interesting element too with you is you have so many athletes, so you can have try and make a consistent training plan, whatever. Yeah. But then you get maybe new athletes every year that you're going to have to mold things for. Like when you say that first day you did the bronco and it didn't work well, why didn't it work well? Do you remember? Yeah, because I've, I've, in my head, it was clear that they need to do a test. So everyone understands the task. Everyone knows that they need to run, et cetera. And then as soon as I arrived with that test, I didn't have a, a plan B. So what if they don't know actually the Bronco? You know, like for me, it's clear as, uh, yeah, it's perfectly clear that the Bronco is this. But for this guy, it wasn't. So instead of trying to find another way to test them or maybe just give up the test and, and just try to do some condition, I, I stuck with the plan. and. And yeah, they, they like same. How do you record all the data as well? So I, I had the plan of I'm, I'm going to do that, and all of a sudden you arrive and you got all these forty players. I don't know any of them. I don't have someone who printed a you know a piece of paper with all the the faces, so that I can have name and faces. So I didn't prepare that up front. Um, all these guys arrive all of a sudden. You got 10, 15 guys at the, around you and say, yeah, I'm, I'm five, ten, uh, Bernardo, Gonzalo, and. And, and you're like oh, hold on hold on and then you so it's a mess it's just a mess so half of the guys are talking half of the guys are just you know hanging around uh two or three guys are, are questioning still but why are we doing so it's just a complete mess really um so I, I had to come up with the structure and and like you say facing also many athletes i had to realize that you have to give up something you know do you want the test or or, or what is it that you want or same for gym session do you want to go through the whole warm-up etc etc or you give tasks because again you've got 25 30 guys sometimes and and you can't control everything you know and and that guy's got the shoulder prime and the physio want to talk to you about two or three guys i've said and also and you end up running everywhere and actually you're not even part of the session so i had to come up with i guess like every coach is where you create your own system around okay what if i don't have much time but i need to be the the most efficient <laughs> um or, or or what if i've got x amount of injuries etc so now instead of having only a plan a you have a plan b eventually plan c and um and and that helps to to be a bit more comfortable but i really think as much as you plan you need to face this situation to be a bit more comfortable next time to you know so it's 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 part of the journey i guess being adaptable and flexible yeah. i can imagine is a skill that you've like significantly developed in your time yeah. in all your roles but in particular this role and something you touched upon which like I can imagine for me if I turned up I might feel like 
out of my depth or you yeah. know that phrase imposter syndrome where you're like yeah. what am I doing so tall poppy talk the kind of reason I want to have these conversations is I look at someone like you who is a tall poppy which means like excelling being a high performer and instead of being like oh how did he do that I wonder I'm just going to ask you and kind of create these conversations but still I find that a lot of high performers experience um, imposter syndrome or what we in New Zealand call tall poppy syndrome which is maybe they cut themselves down or other people are kind of giving them negativity because they're doing so well so there's many different definitions of tall poppy syndrome but I think internationally and I don't know how you say it in French but it's like that sense of imposter syndrome what has been your experience maybe with some of the more mental side of it or self-doubt as you've been going through your career it's 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 a good question I've, I've, to be honest I, I still feel like if I have to give a course etc I, I still feel like I'm an imposter to be honest um I, I still have that very much again because I've always been in a, an environment where I'm, I'm more or less by myself um I don't have staff around me or i've got the coaches but in terms of snc or strength and conditioning staff I, I don't have anyone to really challenge the ideas so now i've got my, my assistant dino who's, who's helping but in my journey over the last 10 years yeah but now i've got dino for the last two years but uh, for eight years i've been on my own so i always feel like so that's why i was trying to to look at some mentors etc but i haven't experienced that personally where people are really challenging my ideas they they they're actually challenging the for example the sessions uh some clubs you know the the players are coming back they're tired so it's actually coming from from clubs or coaches but not necessarily from other strength and conditioning coaches because again the netherlands has a rugby nation we are just trying to you know to improve step by step so we are not seen yet as as potential contenders so so that gives me uh, maybe a bit of a break <laughs> yeah it, it's still something i found I found it difficult to answer, to be honest, because it's, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I don't know. I don't know when do you also define, like, okay, I've, I've I've done enough, so then I can, you know, be be that sort of person, that sort of leading person as well. It's, um, I don't know. Do you think a little bit, like, you're saying, and I forget who said this to you, you don't have to explain what you're doing, just why. Yeah. Do you think not having to explain it was good because you could back yourself or do you almost wish you had to explain it so then you could get validation that it's making sense yeah yeah I think so because like having your why makes you a bit more confident because you you all of a sudden you 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 have arguments you have beliefs you have um, experiences that then back the thing up and, and like I was saying about the different process where you copy, you start to question, and then you, you make it your own. If you copy everything and then people ask you why, most of the time you you, you end up short in the in the answer because you, you don't know exactly how to say that. But but having a why behind and and also being okay, like I was saying, in the different environment, I, that's what I don't like at the at the at the moment is a lot of judgment online as well, where you know someone just pick up an, uh, an exercise and, and put it online or somebody so once you you know create discussion or and then you got always 
couple of people saying, ah, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, knees over toes, that's crazy. And okay, fine. But someone told me one day, it's it, everyone is right and everyone is wrong at the same time. It all comes down to the context. And then I, and I, I really believe that. So if you can explain your why, doesn't matter what you do, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I, and at least that's my vision. So when I talk to other SNC coaches, I've, I'm always asking the why they are doing things. So I've, I've been lucky enough to go to different clubs. And sometimes, again, coming from the Netherlands, people are looking a bit like, okay, well, what do you want to know? What? And then most of the time they assume that I want to know, I don't know, went to the Saracens and they were, they were telling me, you want to know how many... You know uh, uh, how much bench press uh, uh, Owen Farrell is lifting. No, I was like, no, I don't care. But why are you doing bench press with him? Why? How do you manage an international player? How, you know, how do you set up your your GPS uh, your GPSs? How do you set up your session with the coach? I'm I'm interested about the why. So um, and then again, the answer sometimes is definitely not what I believe in. But I, in their context, I, I I get that I understand because they they saw me the whole picture, and then and then I think. As long as you can do that, then then you're fine. And the confidence will come with, you know, having maybe some numbers, trust of your athletes, and, and that's that's key. If, you, if the guys are on board with you or, or girls or athletes, they, they they will follow you, that that's fine. That's that's your why. If if they're not on board and then you 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 have this amazing knowledge, then yeah, then you need to question yourself also about what you're doing. But um again, that's only my my view and my experience. And that relates to what you said earlier about if you go to a different program, you're going to have to adjust the way you yeah. do things because of yeah. the context, the people who are in those programs. And that is like the academic as well as the coach within you that takes yeah. all that information and can spin it, which I think is very impressive and remarkable. So I hope you appreciate that because I know a lot of coaches, I was a rower and sometimes we we might want to question but you're just told this is the program like stick to the program so I think that's really great to have someone leading such as yourself who is willing to pivot and change and I can imagine are your athletes quite um like receptive or quite uh do they feel comfortable do you think talking to you about asking the same questions you ask other people I I hope so I I, I like to believe so um I'm I'm trying to be just like you, I've, I've had that experience where coaches are just saying it's that's the way it is. That's it. You don't question it. You just do, which is fine. Uh, let's say you want to go for the Olympics. Maybe for four years it works, but then after that, you you know it's gonna end up to a breaking point. You you either you're gonna start to have fears, either you're gonna start to have a miscommunication. So so it's again what type of of some coaches are really open about it and they say no I, I, I really don't care about my athletes I just want them to do so and so sometimes when you hear that you're like well but on the other end if it works for them okay that's fine but that's also why maybe they change position quite often or that the program is successful or only for so long but um but yeah but also like you said like you mentioned all the different experience and sometimes little details have I remember one of my first training in New Zealand, for example, uh, coming for France. France is really a sort of, uh, there's a strong hierarchy. So the head coach says something and then you you just follow. You don't question, you don't do anything. Or One of the first sessions I was doing conditioning actually, and then they gave me a group of players and I had three or four Maori guys in, in it. 
And the guys are just chilling, you know, with their hats on. So that really, as a Frenchman, that pissed me off straight away. I don't know why, but the guy is coming to a training with the hats on. I'm like, what? And then, the, so they finish running and then they sit. So they sit and then just talk. And then I went at them again. I was like, why are you sitting? You're lazy. And, and later on, I realized that that's their culture. So I, I was mad at something that makes them, and you know, like, who they are and then uh, the other session i tried something else i tried just to do the conditioning but with the ball this time because i, I didn't have many players so I, it was actually by mistakes and then completely different players they were running everywhere so i was like okay and then talking later on with my colleague about because his uh, zain is is a maori and he told me that's that's our culture that's how we are we are you know uh we are easy going we, we just enjoy and, and, and relax life you know it's 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 fine but that's that, that was a starting point and same here in the Netherlands where there's no sort of hierarchy so everyone is equal so you can talk to your boss the same as you talk to um, any employees as long as there's constructive arguments so same when I started the training and the boys were like why are we doing this I was like yeah <laughs> why because you're gonna do it that's it or, or you know or, or saying hey, uh, uh, if we start at seven we start at seven if you uh, arrive late so I'm sorry you can't be part of the training yeah I don't think it's fair I was like yeah I don't care if it's fair or not you 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 but again it's a culture so if you don't get the culture as well in your in your environment it's it's uh so so now I picked up all these different subtle changes in the different cultures and then uh, try to make a blend of it and uh, and sometimes you have to yeah still as a frenchman I've, I've got my culture in the background so even here in the Netherlands, when sometimes the questions the first thought is okay you're gonna go but then you need to relax like okay i, I need to think like uh like the country where i'm in now so it's uh it's pretty interesting i find it pretty interesting and and taught me a lot as well the same way that they bring their culture you bring yours right so that's why you're in the role but i can imagine sometimes you're you do need to cater or kind of adapt for the country you're in and that's something so fascinating I love the story about the the players as soon as you give them a ball and they're actually playing a game completely yeah. different because that's how they're introduced to rugby right like yeah. you're in primary or elementary school and you're just playing with your friends whereas maybe in France or in the Netherlands it's introduced when they're older and maybe they're more high performers so my next question relates to this where you have worked in so many different countries in a high performance element. How do you define high performance, especially as someone who's been in high performance systems all over? Yeah, that's a, also a tricky one. Um, it, for me, it's high performance. Most of the time, it's it's related to preparation and optimization. So the preparation, so how much you're willing to to put as effort in, into your preparation to avoid any, yeah, any surprises really. Um, have, have you checked your mental health? Uh, have you checked your uh, nutrition? Have you checked the way you train? Um, I'm talking mainly about sports here. Um, and and optimization is, is the same. Can you, maybe sometimes less is more. Um, do you need to go for two or three hours in the gym? Maybe not. Uh, do you need to do all this extra running? Maybe not. Um, so it's 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 really about trying to 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 put the two together. But on the other end, if you talk about high performance in general, I, I believe everyone is at some point in their life a high performance. Um, if not on everyday life, you know that um, 
a single mother with two kids. She has to optimize everything at time. And, and there's no, there's no time for her to question or whatever. She has to provide same for uh, a dad with, uh, with kids or, 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 or just being single, you need to optimize your time, make sure you got to career, make sure you got uh, enjoyment, social life, et cetera, et cetera. So at some point, everyone has their structure in their life where they need to make choices and, and sometimes strong choices. So I believe, yeah, I, I believe that that's also part of so high performance. So we, we always ideal the, the athletes, but I'm more impressed by the athletes who are on their own. Um, because once you are an athlete with all the staff, everything around it, it's, it's sometimes it's almost, they take it for granted. It's almost too easy. And if you look at the athletes, the way they were when they were younger, they were they were really eager to to go for the next step. And and that's where I'm, I'm really impressed. When I go to clubs, they got nothing, but yet they produce every year talents for national team. Or um, they don't have much money or support. And yet every year, one of the coaches is named to you know one of the best coaches of, of, of the of the area or some days I'm, I'm more impressed about these type of things but again if you look at the way the structure that they, they're sort of high performance programs it's not flashy it's not fancy but it's it's to the point it's efficient and um so yeah so that's for me the sort of high performance um to your mindset let's say yeah and i think that's an excellent definition especially given your career and the way you've evolved because you have had to optimize much more than maybe if you had just come in as a strength and conditioning coach you wouldn't have to think about the admin of yeah everyone's names when you do a bronco test or knowing how different cultures are going to impact the way people train so you've um you know when they say a goldfish will grow to the size of its tank if yeah. you if you're in there by yourself you're going to grow and expand and take on all these extra roles because someone needs to do it. Otherwise it won't perform. So I think that's probably why you see that in other people and in other athletes, because it's similar to the way you've been able to be a high performer. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And, and, and also again, like I, I believe in experiences and uh, I believe also about uh, trying to talk, the same language so I, I always made sure I, I got the same diploma or, or more or less the same diploma as the coaches so when they talk about rugby I know what they're talking about I've seen I've seen also sometimes where SNC coaches are just stepping in the conversation uh, uh, you know when they talk about uh, volleyball I'm lost so I, I just do my SNC and I'm fine I think it's really important to understand and talk the same language and and on the other end again coming back to the experience uh having a, a variety of of roles um helps you to understand everyone responsibilities sometimes you can be frustrated at x y and z but by switching position you realize the complexity of the task um for me what really helped me is when i was playing is um passing all my um, diplomas so you start with the youth and coaching the youth was the best experience for me it was extremely tough but that was the best experience because kids they don't have filters so if you arrive with your session in and you start with exercise a and and two kids that happened to me uh two kids look at me and say i don't like your session okay uh and then everything and then you can see that like the whole group just disintegrate and you you have all your paper and then, and then now what are you doing or, or you say to you say to them okay you can't cross the line and all of them are crossing the line 
and then so all of a sudden you you start to yeah again try things and then you make stories so you say okay if you cross the line the crocodiles just behind so they're gonna eat you they're gonna die to stay on the pitch and it's it's simple stuff but it, it that really helps me also to shape my my coaching philosophy also around men's there is some exercise that i do with six eight years old that i do with the men's team and they love it as much it's just a part of the fun and and something really uncommon and and uh another time i had to do a, an opening for a club 60 kids and and someone forgot the keys of of the equipment so i got one con and 60 kids so what are you doing you can't you can't just say no sorry there's no session the kids are there so you have to so all of a sudden you, you you need to create something in the emergency and then you need to come up with something. I, I don't know if it was great or not, but you, you, yeah, just go and, and try it. But I really, I, I keep saying even to my interns, I say, just start coaching kids. If you can do the kids, if you look at all the greatest uh, coaches, they've been involved in PE teaching, all of them. Like, uh, I, I know it's a bit controversial at the moment, but A.G. Jones, um, A.G. Jones, uh, Stevenson, uh Graham Henry uh, all these guys have been involved at some points with with kids and and I, I really think if you can deal with them that will open up and and help you uh, along the way yeah absolutely and part of that too is kids want to have fun so probably yeah. like you said you do the same thing sometimes with eight-year-olds that you do with adults because you're keeping the fun in it what do you think as a coach is like the most fun thing you do I I love it has nothing to do with strength and conditioning with that I, I love activation. So by that I mean you arrive to a session, let's say it can be a gym session, it can be a field session, it, it doesn't matter. Guys, we're gonna do uh five reps of whatever, sprints, da-da-da, we're gonna do the warm-up boom go. Instead, you start, you take five minutes. Again, it, it comes down to choices. You you take five minutes of our session, say guys. You go in twos, a uh, pair of twos. We're gonna let's say grab a cone on the on the floor. You need to touch your uh, the famous exercise now. So, hips, uh, shoulder, or knees. You ready? Two, two. You do that for five minutes. The outcome of the session is completely different. There is no science behind it. There is nothing more than just trying to create a cohesion and a good vibe. And then after you go. And and I, I love that part because I I really feel like you got a real impact on the outcome of the session. Um, some days you that can happen you, you you're flat you don't have it uh you didn't sleep well for whatever the reason you turn up to training you, you don't have it and you can see the session is flat as well and and it's not the guy's fault it's your fault because you're you need to give them energy as well and then they will give it back to you um i found it a bit more difficult than when i was coaching the the ladies i found it's it, it's not the same type of uh humor as well so you have to give more, but it's it's different. You 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 really have to encourage and really explain a lot more than you do with the men's. Um uh something stupid is like uh you start a session with you guys, say, okay guys, we're gonna do exercise A, B, C, D, go. And then you have maybe 20 guys starting for exercise one, sort of sudden is uh, like there's not enough rack squats or something. So they turn around and say there's not enough rack. And same thing for the girls. Say, girls, let's go. And then everyone stay in front of you. Say, come on, let's go. Yeah, yeah, we are reading the, the exercise. And then all of a sudden they start to organize themselves. Ah, there's not enough rock So you guys, you go there, you go, boom, they go. So my first session with the girls, no one asked questions. No one need to do anything. No, no, they were they were fine. Off they went. So it was uh, it was pretty, pretty fun, actually. 
a lot of this stuff was still, yeah. That's such an interesting difference between yeah, the male the male and the female uh sports. And I remember even going back to playing as little kids, I played football, soccer, and my dad was coaching and he said the the boys sometimes when they're little, or maybe even just in general, would respond to anger. If you said like, come on, try harder, they would get riled up and they would run faster. But if he said that to me, I might get upset and I'll be like, yeah. What you don't think I'm doing? So even those little differences, that must be so fascinating for you. And women's rugby is rising as well, especially the sevens. So yeah. there must be differences between sevens rugby, 15 aside, how yeah. the team works with each other. Because you, you mentioned some sevens. Is that something you'd like to get more involved with or stick to 15s? I I rather stick to 15s to be honest. The sevens is great, but I I felt it was almost it's 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 really intense. First, so the tournaments you do a, a full tournament, you you train, you play uh, five six games sometimes uh, over two days. It's a lot of traveling involved, which is great, but it's it's not necessarily my type because you play every uh, two hours, two hours and a half, three hours maybe max, and and it's really bam you. So you can do a great game. Three hours later, you you're in the middle of nowhere, and then also in three hours after, you do sort of average game. It's really it's that's why you got to a lot of upset sometimes in sevens because it, yeah, it's so many factors can influence that. But at the same time, depending on the conditions of the tournament, so you can have uh, your own area where you can be with the players a bit rested, and or or sometimes the food is not there as well, so you need to create your own. So so many things influence the outcome of the game that you have no. So, so you don't sometimes you even question is it me is it the stuff that i said is it them because they rested well or because they they put some music they started to dance yeah to be honest and and um, the fact that again you play you try to review then they chill then they come back play i, I struggle with that as well because i was saying yeah they started to put music it's it's yeah i found it i, I rather have the the whole build up of 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 15 games I, I love that the week you know people start to get tense and the closer you get from the game and then the day of the game is just I, I love that you know you can see like from the breakfast to the to the towards the game to the lunch people start to stress out some guys less talk and then the the silence in the bus when you ride to the I, I, I love that I love that I like big groups I, I, I love to work with big groups big groups and a lot of anticipation and yeah. obviously at the moment it's the rugby world cup so probably getting to enjoy watching that both our home teams are still in so yeah. this weekend's gonna be very entertaining yeah <laughs> we might be both <laughs> but, uh... as um you watching that as a coach leading your own like team as you are do you look at the other teams and maybe like I'm just watching and it's and it's entertaining. Are you watching and can't switch off your brain, like your coach brain? Are you like, oh, what are they doing there? What's going there? Yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult to switch off. You you always see something or or you try to see something, even though you don't want it. And then especially with the different angles they have now. So if um when they start to put the camera from the back, so straight away you start to see the structure, the shapes, the way they play. So it's it's difficult to switch off from that, and uh, and also I'm curious about, yeah, sometimes um, uh, like for example the last game of uh, Italy, 
against France actually when when the, the head coach started to to switch uh, his captain and so he made the, the the sub he changed his captain like three minutes after halftime so straight away like okay what's going on here why why is he switching his uh, three minutes after so you, you sort of question these sort of things so that's why I, I like also to to switch off when I'm if I, if I can I, I watch as much rugby as I can but I'll, I can also switch off and be completely out of the picture I, I love actually watching all the games um I like to go and, and watch just random uh, football game around the corner uh, kids tournaments uh, volleyball swimming just to see all the uh, environments and and the way they deal with things but uh, I, I yeah I really can just watch I always see something try to to get something out of this it's uh so my wife gets tired sometimes <laughs> about that because we just uh, you know we went to a park once and then i saw a game i was like can i go and watch the game she was like really oh, just five minutes <laughs> and <laughs> watching the thing so it's uh but um so no I, I i take that from my dad my dad was the same he was always watching all that and um i always found it uh, uh yeah fascinating that you can be involved in so many different things and and at the same time be yeah be also challenged in your own way because you, you always come up with something no matter how good or, or terrible the game is there is there is always something to get out of it and uh, that's what i that's what i like and that's the passion isn't it it's very it's, it's a gift that you have a job not just a job a career and something you're so passionate about so that's yeah. incredible but i think it's also curiosity and and Again, I've been lucky to meet a lot of coaches and, and some of them have it, some of them don't. Uh, uh, some guys have great career without it and, and other guys have great career with it. Uh, it's it, Again, it's coming from where, what make you, what made you, you, um, in a sense that my father was a PE teacher, so I've always been involved around clubs and, and so he was coach for a basketball team, a, a women uh, basketball team, so I was always around. I saw him also watching some rugby and, and he was coaching rugby as well. So yeah, as a, you know, as, as, as I was part of it. So eventually later on, I still developed that sort of love for, for, for the sports uh, in general. And, um, and again, I've, I've seen guys who are not interested at all in any other sports, they just do rugby and then they're fine, or they just do uh, rowing in your case and then they're fine. Um, I don't know if you, if you had that experience actually when you were doing ro rowing where you, interested about i don't know watching any other sports or, or trying to improve looking at other the sports or not really uh, yeah i think there are benefits absolutely in looking at other sports but also in the athlete not just identifying with the one sport because if you're so focused in then you limit yourself from what's evolving in other sports and the adaptations that can happen and one of my coaches in new zealand would tell me to go mow the lawns like as a recovery because it's walking and you're pushing and like it's satisfying because you're getting a task done and yeah. he was he's a farmer and I would never get that when I went to college in the states for rowing no one would ever say hey is recovery go mow your lawn so even just as you mentioned the different athletes have their culture different coaches have their culture and it was satisfying because yeah, you're pushing your job and you're focused on this thing and you look up and you've the lawns are mowed and you've recovered so I yeah uh, I love watching other sports and I'm not very fast twitched so I enjoy watching sprinting 
anything high jump athletics where people are explosive because I cannot do that. <laughs> Is there anything I didn't ask that you'd like to say or anything you feel like we missed? It can be anything. No, I think I think we covered quite a lot of topic. Um, maybe you didn't ask why the French are so grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> you're not grumpy, but you've been around other places. Yeah. No, to be fair, I noticed that now when I go back home. We're not grumpy. We we want we want uh, stuff to be done. So uh, so our way is 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 to say we look more at the negative than the positive. So sometimes I do that with my parents as well. So I'm like, okay, okay, that's fine. That's negative, maybe, but look at. So I'm trying to bring them into uh, into another thing. But uh, no, I think we cover all the all the questions really. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed chatting so so much my sign-off question is a little silly but I always ask if you had to have just one meal for the rest of your life so breakfast lunch and dinner you have to have the same thing what is it going to be obviously it's going to be around French cuisine um ah, that's a good one Uh, a good yeah a, a good roast uh, chicken for my grandmother that's for sure um or magare that is always brilliant foie gras uh, as a um like um as a starter and as a dessert Ooh, dessert is tough well, let's go italian and i will go for a good tiramisu oh. Oh, gato basque gato basque of course gato basque so which is from the basque region mm-hmm. uh, i love that one so that will be the the main thing so really typical product not much add to it just the quality of the product is enough i think that could be the most um detailed and beautiful one <laughs> i get a lot of um pizza or something that it can be versatile so you have given the most fine dining <laughs> no, I'm, I'm lucky. The, the area where I'm from in France is really about uh, food and, and and really quality. So uh, even for uh, like when we have uh, Christmas uh, dinners and stuff like this, it's it's not much to add into the product. The product is is fine by itself. So it's um it's really about spending moments. So it's for for five hours at the table. So it's uh yeah, wine and wine and food is really yeah. Uh, is is the core of the of the family uh, uh, down south in France? Yeah. Oh, that is amazing. Are you able to get? Well, the Netherlands and France is not that far away. So, can you get all your good quality food? Yeah, we got uh, we got some deals going on with the parents when they're coming over. <laughs> can you bring back this or that? Uh, so they're always coming back, unpack the the case, and then uh, you got to full of yeah. Usually it's around pate, foie gras, uh, some chocolate as well uh there's some some chocolate from down south and then sort of typical products um from from the southwest so yeah we we got we got some stuff and sometimes we go by car so it's still a long drive 13 hours but when we come back here the the car is uh, <laughs> it's a bit heavier than the, <laughs> than on the way in yeah oh i can imagine and your yeah your daughter's gonna have a very vast um cuisine what i don't yeah. know what it is like preference she's going to have good taste that's it yeah, yeah. no that's for sure that's for sure that will be part of the the experience she will get, she's gonna get yeah oh my goodness well i have enjoyed speaking with you so very much and thank you for your patience with me as we rescheduled but you yeah, were just fine. incredibly fascinating and your career 
has and will continue to have so many interesting elements going and i wish the best for you so thank you very much for joining me on tall poppy talk no thanks a lot thanks for you and uh, all the listening thank you so much for listening to tall poppy talk we'll see you next time feel free to check us out on socials youtube and the website thanks for today's guest and we'll see you all next time take care be kind